welcome back to another episode of God Built This Podcast. I'm your host, Maxine. I'm on episode 215. I apologize. I am late. I mean, this is coming out as usual on the same date, Tuesday, but I'm recording Tuesday, so it's coming out later, as you could tell. But thank you for listening. Anyway, I appreciate it. We're here. Let's get into it. First, I kind of want to backtrack to last episode and walk you through an array of emotions I felt after releasing that and after like hanging out with said person. And I feel like, here's the thing with anxiety. I think sometimes with anxiety, you find yourself creating more than what it is or creating a mountain out of molehill. And then that's the thing with anxiety. It's like you're questioning if this is really the intention behind someone's actions or your you're like you're doubting your own reality like it's like you're living in an alternate universe it's really weird but then as I was like battling with that I was also thinking well no what I experienced was real like (laughs) I genuinely did not feel like her way of interacting with me in comparison to her other friends was equal like I felt like it wasn't as equal as it should have been. And I'm gonna stand by that. And I think sometimes with anxiety, like, yes, there are times when you may create things more than what it is. And there are times when you feel like like you're you know the only person in the world and you're isolated and no one loves you and no one cares about you. And it's like, I necessarily wasn't feeling those things. I was feeling more so like, oh, I notice the way her energy is towards them and with me is like, it's just not, it's more professional in a way. Like it was just the obligatory check-ins like, oh, hey, we're about to, um, you know, meet up and head to this other spot. That was it. It wasn't like, it wasn't to the point where I noticed how she was with the other folks. So that is what I'm standing on and I don't want to, like talk myself out of that because I know how I felt in that moment and I know how I felt throughout the trip and I feel like that is real like that is real like I can't suddenly just gaslight my own self and I think that's the thing about anxiety like you you find yourself gaslighting yourself like no I'm making a big deal especially if you have another interaction with that person and it's fine right things are just as you would have hoped but just because you had that great interaction afterwards doesn't mean that what you had previously as an interaction that was uncomfortable for you doesn't mean that that wasn't true so anyway I still stand <laughs> <That's hosed. laughs> I mean, look, I think sometimes, you know, I just think sometimes there's an art to having relationships, you know, whatever type of relationship it is. And I think there is just maybe a lack of emotional intelligence that some people may carry when they are interacting with different groups of people at the same time. Um, And I think sometimes when you're combining different friends, maybe she felt some level of anxiety with that and she just reacted the way that she did. So like, 
you know, I mean, we're still friends, so I'm grateful for that. But like, I also just feel like, you know, in that, I still had that experience internally and externally. And that doesn't, like nothing, just because since then, it's been, it's still been fine. It doesn't negate the moment that I felt the feeling that I felt. So I just felt like saying that because I think sometimes naturally after we like we we have a bad moment with someone and then we have a good moment with someone we tend to think oh well that bad moment wasn't that bad right it wasn't that bad oh I'll, I'm just forcing it oh my gosh there, there goes Maxine being Maxine again it's like no no <laughs> anyway no I also was triggered because I remember this song by Jojo remember the artist Jojo white girl who has this really soulful voice as if she's a black girl but she's really talented I give her that and she has a lot of great songs her latest album she has a song called anxiety and in parentheses is called Berlinda's theme I don't know who Belinda is I don't know if that's her middle name or that if that's her real name and it's not Jojo either way that song is dope please check it out and if you ever like you know if you realize that hey I do suffer from anxiety you could really relate to the lyrics in this song it resonates with me so much and there's a part in the song when she talks about like like I wish I could turn you off like I wish I could turn off the voice of that anxiety, of those anxious thoughts, of those anxious feelings, I wish I could turn it off. And um, there's another part in the song when she talks about how you come at the wrong time. You always come at the wrong time. You're an inconvenience. And it's so amazing how profound this song is and how much I resonate with it and how well the melody is and how well she sings the lyrics and it's it's a really beautiful well thought out song that wow it captures my experience with anxiety and so when I was listening to that song um like a few days ago I reminded myself of that moment and how like, sure, when I was by myself in my room after a plethora of activities socially with groups of people, I came to my own and I, you know, naturally, at least for me, I always like recap uh, the series of events that has taken place in that day. And as in like in my recap, I was realizing, oh, well, I'm noticing a difference in how this friend is treating me in comparison to some other, the rest of the group, really. And I was just feeling those feelings. So I think sometimes in that moment, anxiety will come in and make you feel even deeper in that sentiment of loneliness, of isolation, of rejection. And you're gonna go down this rabbit hole of I I'm never fitting in and no one loves me all these things and so I was feeling those feelings and I want to manage that better and not think so deep into that right like I, just because maybe a friend is not as equal in in interacting with you as they are with the other friends 
doesn't mean that I'm this rejected loser, right? It doesn't mean that I am hopelessly lonely and no one will ever care or love me. Like, it doesn't mean that. It just means this is just an isolated moment and this says a lot about this person than it does about me. And, you know, I could just continue to feed into the other friends in that moment and not spend so much time and worry about that. So I think that's when anxiety comes in and plays tricks on you and makes you think that is bigger than what it is or that is vindictive than what it is. And I don't want to see her as this vindictive person. Like she is still a friend of mine and I do care for her and I believe that it is reciprocal. I just think sometimes some people can't Some people aren't as aware emotionally because some people are not as sensitive as I am. And not not to say you have to be this highly sensitive person like I've shared with you guys that I that I am right now, like you have to be that way. It's just sometimes if you just lack some sensitivity just in general, like she's not someone who has like she doesn't really. And I don't want to say I wear my heart on my sleeve either, but I am emotional whether people see it or not. Like, I I do feel my feelings. Um, I just don't... I don't cry at the drop of a hat, but I, I do feel my feelings. I am embracing it and I share it in conversation when it's appropriate, et cetera. And that is not the same in return with this person because she's just not wired that way. And look, that's just what it is. Like not everyone is as sensitive as you may like or as you may be. And that is just is what it is. I think sometimes when interacting with different people and different friend groups and different friends, you have to kind of remember, oh, this is this is how she is. This is how he is. This is how this person, like, you know what I mean? And not, just not take shit personal. So that's a quick update on that. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> um, which topic I want to get into? There's a lot to discuss, really. Let's talk about, oh my gosh. Yeah, let's talk about this. Because this came on my timeline and it's related to me in a way because I was a member of this man's church since moving to Houston and I have since no longer attended that church and has since realize that I no longer am interested in, in, t- in attending and being a member at that church. But I'm gonna say his name now because he is now a public figure because of whom he is now married to. And her name is Shawnee O'Neal. So Shawnee O'Neal, as you guys may know, well, her last name is probably not O'Neal anymore because she's married to this new guy, the pastor that I'm talking about, Pastor Keon, okay? So he is a pastor based here in Houston and he has a church here in Houston in which he pastors. This church is, yeah, it's a mega church. I want to say it's on the Osteen, Joel Osteen level, but it's a mega church nonetheless. And he is very popular amongst pastors, amongst the community, amongst the church community in general. He has strong connections with T.D. Jakes and just other well-known pastors as such. So anyway, 
he and Shawnee O'Neal are engaged and actually at this time they're they're married now I believe they've already um, had their nuptials but um, they now have a show together and I think it's just a short short situation it's like you know how an EP is or what is it like you know how in music it's not an album but it's a short version like a mixtape or EP whatever the actual term is for it but it's not an album so it's not a full season it's just a couple of episodes and I think it's actually just a three episode show and it's just an insight into Shawnee and Pastor Keon's upcoming nuptials and the planning for that the feelings the merging of families all these things so I mean where do I begin with this I think there's just a lot of uh, resentment is not the word it's just a lot of just cringe that I feel when it comes to the church at times, not to say all the time, but like when it comes to the church, when it comes to mega churches, when it comes to some pastors, especially pastors who preach the prosperity gospel, there is just a lack of authenticity in their character. And I'm sensing that from him more than I've like realized initially. And you know what's funny? In retrospect, I realized that me wanting to attend his church, like I remember when I first moved here to Houston, I was very much enthused and enthralled in in his church because of him, because of him, because sure his, you know, his preaching was, ooh, it was, you know, effective and okay cool but like he had this engaging personality he had this very just attractiveness like he was a attra- he's attractive um I mean I don't see his I don't see him as attractive anymore but I remember initially I was like oh my gosh he's fun right <laughs> he's a he's a pastor that maybe anyway but Nonetheless, I did find him attractive and that motivated me to want to attend his church. I swear to God, I'm being honest. It wasn't on some, oh, I want to get closer to God. (laughs) I mean, sure, of course I want to get closer to God and that was the intent and like I wanted to like be a part of a church community and all these things, but... I could have done that anywhere, right? The reason why he stood out to me was I liked the presence that he had on social media and I liked just his overall aesthetic. And um, I like that this would have been a new church for me to attend that is a, a bigger size and just the just the appeal of a bigger size church was attractive for me during that time. Because I think, because I grew up in such a more of a community style church and what I mean by that is it you know I knew everyone from my home church because it was a family it was an extended family type of church for me and most of the people there, not most but a lot of the people there I either grew up with or I'm related to so like either way we all know each other and it's an intimate size So coming here to Houston, I wanted to experience something new. And there was something exciting about attending a bigger size church. 
you know, there was something exciting about the lights and the glam and the glitz and the way that the praise and worship worshipped, right? Um, it felt like a show. It, it just was exciting to be a part of, or not necessarily be a part of, just to be in attendance of. And the reason why I'm saying not necessarily being a part of is when you're a member at a mega church, you don't, at least for me, I really don't feel that intimate connection. There is a lack of intimacy when you're a member at a mega church. And maybe it will be different if I grew up in that church, right? If I had um, a, a tight knit circle already formed in that church. So despite the large in size, I probably wouldn't even see it as a mega church because, oh, I know everyone here or I know most people here and there's a community of people whom I'm close with and whom I trust. But that wasn't the case for me. So I felt like despite the the little small groups that was developed and, and created for Monday night um, or like weekly check-ins or like fellowship moments with the, the community, the other fellow church members, I still felt a lack of connection and a lack of authenticity within the community of this church. So it was that. And I also felt like the church was just it just felt like a show it felt like a show like coming from a a smaller community-sized church you know you know everyone you're connected with people and you really get to know people's like history their livelihood their their feelings their walk with christ and there was moments during the service in which people, congregants could go up and share their testimony. They can really speak to how God has moved in their lives. Um, They could sing in front of the congregation and just really be a part because it's a family style way of, of service. Yet with this church in particular here in Houston, Lighthouse Church, it's not like that. You know, you don't have people coming from the congregation coming up and talking about how God healed me from cancer or how God, you know, gave me a job when I was down and out or like you don't have people coming up sharing their testimony. You don't have people um, just walking up and telling how great God has been in their life. And I missed that. Like, I felt like oh, like, what's up with that? Like, it just felt like very much of a structured, orchestrated, maybe even manipulative, but just there was just a way of things being done in a particular order that it lacked for the the community aspect to really shine within a church service. So it, it just felt like the shine was really done, was really put on, on him. It seemed like the shine was really about like him and him preaching and him being like this star. Like it felt like, oh, I'm this star. This spotlight is on me. I'm the star of this show. Um, And when I think about the praise and worship team, again, it felt like a show. You know, I feel like they all put on for the cameras. Like they all like performed rather than really worship and praise. Like I think it was all an act. (laughs) 
to describe it but it felt like an act like it felt like okay right now this is the song when we really get down on our knees and we we scream not scream but like we we profess our love and adoration to God um right now this is when we sweat profusely because you gotta really hit that high note or you you, we're gonna put our hands up like this like everything just kind of felt fake it felt fake like okay and I remember during um like many of the services this guy what's his daryl walls he was the lead um praise and worship uh leader and he was fine too <laughs> like so they were- he was fine too and that was another thing that made me feel more attracted to coming to church because it's like oh well I, I get to look at this like you know <laughs> yo but he was he was fine too and I was like you know this was again this was years ago I don't feel the same now but he anyway he's from this um gospel group called the walls and they're very talented um like they have great songs like I mean, it looks genuine from their, like, from their performance in their songs and their albums and all these things, but I don't know. I just, I wonder, like, how real can you be if you're also in the music industry, right? Like, how real, because you have to at some point, if you're signed to a label, right, if you're more mainstream, if you are having to be a part of the press tour and campaigns and all these things, like there's a level of acquiescing that you have to do. And with that being said, even though you are a gospel artist, I think there are some some bending of the knee that has to happen. I think there is maybe a lack of character in your movements because you have to play whatever the label wants you to play. So anyway, so he is from the music industry. He's from this uh, gospel group that he is in with his siblings. They're all very talented. They can sing their asses off. So I'm not taking that away from them. I just think when you're also in the music industry and then you're in the church, it's like, I don't even know, like, what time you what time are you on? Like, I, I don't know. It just, it just feels like a performance. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, maybe there's an art to it, right? Maybe there's something that can be done to demonstrate, yes, though I am talented in this craft and I demonstrate my talent accordingly. <sighs> how can I still demonstrate that my love for Christ is genuine and hopefully through my worship, it influences you to have your own personal relationship with God. I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's a thing. I really don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so he was the leader of the praise and worship team at the church. And he just, again, it just felt so concocted. Like, he knew like the right things to say during the songs and you know the way that he prays and worship and maybe I'm looking into it too deeply I don't know I just again I just feel like you have to put on a show I feel like he comes from that background obviously because he's in this actual group that's signed to a label and he's in the music industry and he knows how to perform like he's literally hired to perform and so I just feel like sometimes it's a conflict of interest like why does why does a praise and worship team leader has to be an actual music artist 
You know, like, why can't it just be a regular person who has a nine to five, you know, who is a mother, who's a, whatever. Like, why can't it just be a regular person? Anyway, so it was like a lot of these things made me feel like there was a lack of authenticity because eventually, you know, when you are attracted to something, you know, albeit a job, a school, a person, a, a church or whatever it is, and your attraction is more of a surface level and then you you're in the trenches of it and you realize like oh wow this institution or this person or this thing this place whatever it is is not actually giving what it's supposed to be giving it's not actually making me feel like i'm supported as a community member that i am surrounded by people who are genuine and who care instead i'm here because i was attracted to the lights to the fame to the social media presence to the key words that he would use in his in his sermons and to all this and all that and i think sometimes we anyone could get god anyone could get god anyone could get caught up in the glitz and the glam and then you're in it and then you realize oh wait what the fuck is going on anyway so background on him he this is his third marriage this is his and look i (laughs) let's start with the laugh because i mean y'all know how i feel about marriage and like divorce and all these i just look man sometimes you don't get it right sometimes you don't get it right so i'm I'm a give him grace right sometimes you don't get it right and the first time he got married it was fresh out of college and he's from indianapolis or indiana's in it hold on my geography right indianapolis indiana is all in the same place right yeah oh god i sound fucking stupid hold on indianapolis is um he's from indiana hold on it's a midwestern united States, right oh yeah yeah okay okay so indiana is the is the state indianapolis is the capital <laughs> so he's from indianapolis and I guess he's from the ghettos of Indianapolis, like, you know, the gutter, respectfully, you know. But he he shared this many times in his sermons, and he was saying how... Uh, so anyway, yeah, he was sharing, like, his background and how he grew up, and his father basically abandoned him and didn't show up to his life or show up in his life as a father. Yet he was always in the presence of his father, but his father never recognized him. And that reminds me a little bit of Kenya Moore's history with her mother. Kenya Moore, she is from Real Housewives of Atlanta, and she's known within her own right. She has been in videos, music videos, and I mean, I wanna say she's like a, Video Vixen has a negative connotation, and I don't think she has that title on her because she's very educated, she's very well-spoken, she's very just established well within her right. I think she just was starred in many music videos growing up in the industry because it was just her way in. Um, Prior to that, she won Miss Universe or Miss America, one of them. So she... She's pretty well known in that aspect. Anyway, 
in Real Housewives of Atlanta, she talked a lot about her relationship with her mother and how it was pretty much null and void. Her mother had her at a very young age and there is, I think her mother may suffer from some mental issues because I just don't understand how a parent could do that to a child. So I think maybe there's some connection to a mental health disorder. So, um, I, yeah, I feel like that's something there. So anyway, so she was, she, um, she shared on the show how her mother basically abandoned her emotionally, physically, all these things and disowns her, doesn't recognize her as a, a child of hers. And, um, afterwards, anyway, so, So she felt very much rejected, of course, um, hurt, unloved, ignored, and her mother literally will be a part of like fam, like still a part of the family, right? (laughs) But her mother will literally not recognize her or not show her any recognition, recognition at all in any of the family outings, like literally act like she's, (laughs) like she didn't just give birth to her. Like it's very weird. Um, Kenya Moore was raised by her grandmother instead and is close with her aunts, et cetera. So that is similar to what Pastor Keon shared about his upbringing and how his father, even though they were in the same community, same neighborhood, they even went to the same church, his father didn't give a fuck about him. Like, he didn't see him as his son, disown him, didn't take credit that he took part in in giving birth or, like, you know, creating this this human. So, anyway, so there's some trauma there. There's some hurt there, of course. So he was raised by his mother, and he talked about just growing up in the slums. Anyway, so he goes to college. I think he gets married right after college. It's one of those, you know, I guess when you're from a particular part in the world, like in the world, just like geographically, there are some people who are more culturally motivated to get married at a young age because that's just a part of the culture. So like if you grew up in Texas or if you grew up in, you know, just anywhere in the South, it is more like understood that you get married at 22 like you get married and you start your family then you know even if you probably may not want to it's more of a social pressure and I feel like that was the case here with Pastor Keon and it's not like they had a child together and was pressured in that aspect no it was simply because the just the culture that they were in so anyway, he gets married. It, is, it doesn't last long. I want to say like two years max. They got the divorce. Okay, boom. You're young. You, you know, you was impressionable. Um, you was, in a, you was in, a, in a culture at the time that motivated you to get married at a young age. So I'll give you a pass for that. So like you could even scratch that marriage. That doesn't even count, right? That doesn't even count. You get married at 22 and you get, you get divorced at 24. It doesn't even count. Like, you know, whatever. I'll give him grace for that. Anyway, so his second marriage, this is the marriage I knew he was in when 
I attended his church because this second wife, she was a part of the church. She was the first lady. She attended church services. She was present in the church. He recognized her many times during his sermons and would talk about like their relationship and just kind of praise her and like show his love for her sometimes during his sermons. And we knew her, like everyone knew her. So <laughs> and so coming from that and then seeing, I noticed that, oh, she hasn't been in attendance as frequently as she has been. You know, oh, she's been absent a little bit more than one would expect a first lady to be absent. And then you would hear some some hints in his sermons that he is actually getting a divorce or he's separated and like you'll hear him hint about that and like he'll say some things like well you know being a single man or you know being a single christian man like he'll say something like that in his sermons and i'm paraphrasing of course but along those lines he'll say something like that in his sermons and it'll click like oh wait that explains why she hasn't been here that explains why whenever whenever i would like to kind of you know check to be nosy, of course, check on Instagram, you know, oh, I haven't seen any pictures of them together lately, or, oh, when her Instagram page, I don't follow her, but when it was open, I open to the public, I realized there wasn't enough pictures or any pictures anymore of her and him. And then her page finally got private and I didn't really care enough to request to be her her follower on Instagram, so whatever. But, you know, you see those differences, you know? So when someone is like, I don't know. Anyway, so you see the differences, the hints come up, it's, it checks in and then it's like, oh, okay, they're getting a divorce. And then I remember the first time I saw Shawnee O'Neal at the church. She was actually one of the panelists at a panel discussion for one of the events held at the church. And I thought it was kind of cool, like, oh, wow, I watched her on TV and she's literally in this church, in attendance, in our face. It just kind of felt surreal. Not to say that I was a fan of hers, not, you know, not necessarily. It was just, I've watched her on TV and seeing someone on TV in a show that was popular for so long. I watched her in Basketball Wives and I knew her as the wife of, well, former wife now of Shaquille O'Neal. It just kind of felt kind of cool seeing her at church. Like, okay, what's she doing here? Um, so there were some things in my mind, like, hmm, I wonder what she's doing here. But she was a part of the panel and whatever. I forgot why she was a part of the panel. Like, what was the topic? I don't know, but it just felt kind of random. Like, this is a this is a person you get? Like, not to, not to say that she can't be someone who, you know, has a yearning for God or anything. I just feel like for someone who's known for either orchestrating fights, girl fights on TV, or being a part of girl fights on TV, whether that is physical or verbal, it just, found, it just felt kind of funny having her on set at a church service giving advice as a panelist like uh, okay so anyway he alluded to the fact that he and her has been friends for um have been friends for a while and 
it just makes you wonder like okay have y'all only been friends right or like was there a relationship ensued while he was still married and you know whatever you know people do what they do I don't really care about that but it just makes you wonder and being that you are a pastor you know there is a level of decorum you know whether you know look I feel very not as you know very stringent upon stuff like that but I feel like just as a pastor there's a level of decorum one should have because you are preaching the gospel and you're preaching a particular message in a particular way of doing life and if your life is not in alignment with that you're contradicting your preach that's just it and it's not to say that I'm judging or that I am doing the same as him and you know preaching this one way of living like or and living that or we're not doing the same thing as him but the point is like there is a difference in who delivers a message because it's one thing if I say something like that but I'm not a pastor right I'm not trying to lead a flock anyway so he alludes to that and one could wonder you know just naturally of course I'm sure they probably did have a relationship uh, a relationship beforehand and maybe that was one of the reasons why at the very least to the demise of his second marriage whatever anyway so they uh, transition into more than just a platonic friendship that he painted in the in the beginning and they transition into a romantic relationship that is oh excuse me sorry that you know that a romantic relationship and you'll see and I saw it play out on Instagram like literally on Instagram (laughs) Instagram showed it all I mean they put it up on Instagram so of course but I would kind of notice like oh she's frequently in his pictures or in his Instagram stories and oh I see that she posted him on hers like Shadi O'Neal posting this friend quote-unquote on her story like oh something is deeper than what it is so eventually it is demonstrated as such of a romantic relationship and then you see online how he proposes to her and she being in the industry it this news is shared on a bigger stage than just the church world it's a part of the shade room community you know in that in that um profile and just a part of the post there and it just makes you wonder like huh okay and now they have this show, this reality show on VH1, focus on them and their upcoming nuptials. And I just wonder, again, the authenticity. Like, look, again, sometimes you get married and you, just, you, you didn't do it for the right reasons, it didn't work out, fine, get a divorce. Like, I don't really care about that. I just think the fact is, he is a pastor and there is a level of decorum that one should look at a pastor as and I feel like the way that he's moving is lacking the decorum that is typically given to pastors and it's funny because I remember like when he got the divorce or like when it was clear that he was divorcing or he had been divorced and it just it was just weird how everyone in the church was just kind of like okay like it just no one was like publicly not to say I don't 
don't know like what can you do like oh i'm gonna object and protest against this guy no but just the overall tone in the in the church felt like everything that he said was gold you know like nothing he could ever do could ever be wrong I remember one time he chastised the church because he was absent one Sunday and he noticed a decrease in tithes giving and for those who may not be familiar with tithes tithes is spelled so it's t-i-t-h-e-s I know it sounds different than than how it's spelled but that's how you say it and it's basically it's more than an offering. It is, because an offering is like, oh, I'm giving from, I mean, tithes is still giving from your heart, but tithes is more considered as a mandate because you're supposed to give at least 10% of your earnings into, like, to the church. So, like, however much you get paid, whatever is that net worth, give 10% of that to the church. And that is the understanding, that is the expectation, especially if you're a member of a church. You're, not to say that you, you'll get, you know, fined or go to jail if you don't follow your tithes, but it is so socially encouraged and you're looked down upon if you don't follow that. <laughs> Look, I've never really followed that because it's like, hey, fuck y'all. <laughs> But honestly, they make you feel guilty if you don't do it. So the times when I didn't give my exact 10% or times when I maybe gave less than or just didn't give it at all, I always felt guilty, right? There was this guilt, there was this shame that I felt and that I carried because I'm like, oh my gosh, God doesn't love me the same. You know, God is not seeing me as a, a loyal follower of his. And that guilt and shame is really not of God like again that feeling feeling guilty and shameful is not a feeling of God and when pastors preach this this rhetoric of if you don't tithe then you are not really a Christian and you know you're not really showing your love to God or you're not worshiping right it's really a ploy to get you to guilt you into giving them your money that's really what, and I, I'm sorry to say that, you know, I think some people who may be listening who may identify as Christians may cringe at me saying that, and I apologize, but I also feel like that's what it is, like, you know, and it's not to say that don't give your title, I don't know, I just feel like sometimes when pastors are fixated so much on the money, it makes me cringe, it makes me feel like, well, what the fuck are you doing it for, you know, like, you know, it's not, to, it's not to say that I'm like counting your pockets or counting the way that you're living your life. I just feel like that is not how we get close to God. You know, like God is not worried about that. And yes, you need money to pay your bills and, um, you know, support the physicality of the church. And I think God is so focused on our insides, right? The purity of our hearts that sometimes we get so confused and we get so... We, we, we conflate the two, right? We think our money and our earnings and our income and our jobs really speak to our self-worth. And that's not the case. So anyway, so whenever pastors guilt trip you for not giving your tithes or not being consistent with it, then that's a red flag to me, to me. And, you know, if you disagree, you disagree, but that's a red flag to me. 
So anyway, so he he was absent one Sunday and the following Sunday he came into church and he chastised us. And I said us because I was in attendance. And I remember that service and I was like, what the fuck? He was like, he was mad. He was like, oh, I don't come one Sunday. Y'all don't y'all don't pay as much as y'all did before. What do I have to be here every Sunday for you guys to give your money to God to God? And they'll say that like, oh, you're you're disrespecting God. Like God cares about you. Like what? God cares about our money or the money that we give to it. Like, no, we don't have, like, we actually don't have to do any of these things. If you really want to look at the Bible, you don't really have to do any of that. Jesus has been the sacrifice for it all, for, for it all. And so anything that you give should really be from the kindness of your heart, not because you're mandated to, right? You know, everything was sacrificed because the blood of Jesus did it all. So you don't have to cut the heads of lambs anymore. You don't have to necessarily give your money. Like you don't. I think you should, you know, just in the aspect of, you know, making sure that the bills and everything is staying afloat in the physicality of the church. But as far as being reprimanded for not doing so, for whatever that reason is, like you don't know what people are going through. And so for you to come in with your three series BMW and then chastising the church for not paying up in their tithes because it's disrespectful to God. No, nigga, you just mad because you didn't get your extra $1,500 this week. You know, at the very least, because I'm sure it's more. <sighs> so I just hate shit like that. So anyway, he I remember that moment. I was very turned off from that. Um, and again, he preaches this prosperity gospel. And for those who may not be familiar with prosperity gospel, it talks about a lot of how God wants for you to live a luxurious lifestyle. You know, God wants for you to live rich. God wants you to have the biggest and the best and the the softest and the all these things. And it is not to say that God wants you to be poor, right? I'm not a, I'm not necessarily against wanting more or, or wanting the best. I think sometimes with prosperity gospel, the message and the overall tone becomes so materialistic that you forget what is important. What's important is the purity of your heart. What's important is your character and your walk with Christ. It's not about the the style of clothes you wear and the car that you drive and the income that you bring in. And like, it's not about that. It's about the purity of your heart, period. So with Prosperity Gospel, it totally contradicts that. Anyway, so it was that. Um, so now I, I'm looking at his marriage now, his third marriage now, and this time is with Shawnee O'Neal. I feel like this was an opportunity for him, an opportunity for him to get on. And what I mean by that is to get on. Look, she she got money. She got that Shaquille O'Neal basketball money forever, okay? And unfortunately, pastoring has been a scam for many people, for many pastors. There's a lot of pastors who are, uh, what is it? What's the phrase? Wolf in sheep's clothing, you know, who are not to be trustworthy, who are saying the quote unquote right things to gain an audience, to get your money. And is 
it's the simplest way to get to black people. The black community has been so indoctrinated into the gospel that whoever is just speaking the word of God in a charismatic way could get your money at an instant. Like literally, if you're charismatic and you know a couple of verses in the Bible and you can make metaphors come to life, right? And your preach, you could create your own church. Shit, regardless if you actually really, really believe it, you know, regardless if you actually really walk that life, you could make a fortune. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who caught up on game and is doing that and is grifting a community of genuine believers of God. And I feel like it's looking like Pastor Keon is unfortunately a grifter. Now, look, this is all alleged. This is all my opinion. What I say is entertainment purposes. And I just, you know, I got to cover my ass, right? <laughs> I don't know who's listening, but thank you for listening. But, you know, that these, this, is, this is my opinion, you know? So I feel like overall, I don't know. I think this is a good opportunity for him. This is a good look for him to be on TV, right? To gain more exposure, to get ad deals, to get campaign money, to really just be one of the top pastors that you think of when you think of gospel. You know, a lot of people know, a majority of people know Joel Osteen and T.D. Jakes, but not a majority of people know Pastor Keon. You know, they probably don't know how to spell his name. There is an I in it. <laughs> so, you know, so, people, so if you don't know him, like in, you know, because you're not in Houston or because you may not have grown up just in the area or have attended his church, oh, you may know him in the next few years. So we'll see how that shit go. Anyway, let's move on. Balenciaga, Balenciaga. First of all, I don't know what language that is, but apparently in Latin, it means do what you want. And this has been a hot topic for the past few days since Thanksgiving because of a recent ad campaign that has been featured as part of a Balenciaga rollout. Um... You have children in the campaign who are holding bondage bears, like actually teddy bears who are strapped in bondage gear, like, you know, that dominatrix type of gear. And also in the ad, so that means like, you know, when you're taking a picture, it was done in an actual set, right? An actual room or actual, you know, there was a setup that was done in the physical form of, you know, children being a part of it, starring in it. And in this set, so in this photo overall, there are different examples of satanic paraphernalia. (laughs) And look, I think at some point we have to maybe amend maybe a freedom of speech a little bit maybe we have to amend freedom of religion a little bit because we do get choosy when it comes to freedom of religion 
we are quick to be like, well, freedom of religion, right? For, you know, Muslims could worship whomever they want and Christians could worship whomever they want and, you know, people could worship whomever they want or they could gather and worship however they want. Like, if that's really the case, then we shouldn't care. We shouldn't care that there are cults out here. We shouldn't care about Scientology being a cult. We should respect the fact that, hey, this is someone's right to to have a religion of their choice or to be a part of a religion of their choice. That's their right. So I feel like sometimes we get very choosy, you know, very you know, picky and choosy when it comes to religion. It's only right if it's a mainstream religion. It's only right if it's God. And like, I'm not saying this as a Satanist, right? I don't, <laughs> I'm not a Satanist. I'm not saying this in support of Satanism. I just think sometimes when we talk about the constitution, we're very choosy and picky on what is okay and what is not. But if we want to say freedom of religion, then Satanism is a part of that that freedom, right? It, it is a religion that some people, maybe many people, you know, whether it's publicly, confidently, or privately, um, worship, and it just is what it is. But I think the thing is, the fact that children are featured in the the ad makes it more problematic than it needs to be. You know, it'd be one thing if it was full on adults in the ad, but I think something is up because I don't know. I don't get up in arms with like the media anymore because I feel like they want us to, whoever they is, is the Jews, right? No, but it's a joke. <laughs> Maybe it's not, but regardless, like I think there is just, <sighs> things are done purposefully, you know, and things are done to create a level of hysteria for us to react, like period. And I refuse to be told how to react and when to react. So I don't really get up in arms about a lot of things. And I, I'm not necessarily up in arms about this either because I just feel like, they knew what was going to happen, right? Like, you can't tell me no one in the Balenciaga team didn't say, hey, this feels kind of weird. Maybe we shouldn't feature kids. Like, if you want to do the whole Satanism thing, sure, do it. That's your freedom of religion. But maybe we shouldn't have kids a part of this ca campaign because this campaign demonstrates sexual innuendos and not even innuendos, like, in your face <laughs> endos right like in your face sexual advances and kids should not be a part of that conversation but you have to keep in mind we're living in a society in a time right now that is pushing more of this sex positive education you know making young kids identify as lesbian or as trans or as homosexual in any way and this is where the blurry lines the blurry lines get blurrier this is when people feel like okay well I guess I guess it's okay for my six-year-old to feel like a girl and I could go ahead and start chopping off his dick like this is the blurry lines. So I'm not surprised. I'm not like people are so like up in arms and 
throwing away the Balenciaga, like, child, look, you paid $3,000 for this shirt, just keep it. Like, just keep it. Because I would hate for you to throw it away, but I mean, I'm con- I'm thinking if you had that much money to pay for a t-shirt, maybe it doesn't matter to you for you to throw it away because you clearly have money to spend. But anyway, so in the campaign, there's a lot of satanic and ritualistic paraphernalia, including panda eyes, which I heard about, but I didn't really get into it. I recently watched an an episode of a podcast and she talked about the symbolic meaning, the hidden meaning of panda eyes. And basically it represents children who have been sexually traumatized they sometimes have darkness dark circles around their eyes as a result of their sexual trauma now it's not necessarily related to them being penetrated by their predator right it's sometimes just a reaction that's a part of their trauma you know people react to trauma differently and what is apparently the the typical response to sexual trauma is having dark circles around your eye so much so that it looks like panda eyes and what this means is if you have panda eyes if you're rocking panda eyes um you know just has like a a symbol maybe you have a panda on your keychain it's giving more than more than likely it's it's giving people who are in that society a, a head nod right they're aware that oh you're one of us oh you like the same things that i like oh you like to sexually traumatize children like you know that is what it's giving so there was a hidden message there is a hidden message in that and apparently this is included in the campaign ad for Balenciaga. So there's that. And then there's also the spelling of Baal, who is a god, lowercase god, lower G case god, from, from the Bible, but um, very much present in just satanic rituals. And this god feeds off of sacrificing children and he's actually considered to be a fertility deity as well and also a war god he was a part of the canaanite or is a part of the canaanite and mesopotamian religion so if you want to go back to biblical times canaanites like prior to Jesus being Jesus, right? Jesus coming into the word, many people followed and worshiped different gods. And this was one of the gods that they've worshiped, Baal. You know, people would sacrifice children, people would sacrifice goats and animals. And it, uh, until Jesus came to be, Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. So because, again, this is, I'm speaking to those who understand and maybe those who may not know and want to learn. But if you, if you go biblically in this case, that is the purpose of Jesus's sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus's life was to have people who previously did 
other sacrifices, you know, sacrificing of children, of, of lamb, of animals, of different other animals, um, to no longer do that because Jesus paid all the costs. And so because of his sacrifice, you no longer have to sacrifice children and animals to worship a God. Jesus already paid that price. And look, I know it sounds kind of like, but I feel like at the very least, if if people want to go down like a quote unquote conspiracy theory land, if you stop at, oh, I don't believe in that whole Jesus stuff. It's like, okay, come on. Like, come on. If you want to believe, and look, I'm, I love all the conspiracies. I love all, because it's entertaining. I love learning about different things and different perspectives and different symbolisms. And not to say every little thing is real, but I'm saying it's very fascinating. So if you stop at, uh, nah, I don't believe in Jesus though. Like, okay, what? Well, you believe in Pizzagate? You believe in, you know, Christy Teigen? <laughs> you know, drinking children's blood? Like, you know, like people like, it's weird how people sometimes have like a line they draw at. Like, I, I'm drawing the line at this. Not Jesus, Jesus, that doesn't even make sense. It's like, but... Chrissy Teigen having a pool of children's blood makes sense to you? Okay. Anyway, and I'm saying that to say, I'm saying that to say I still believe that, right? I still believe in Chrissy Teigen. Or just like in general, like a group of Hollywood elites um, taking part of satanic rituals. Absolutely. I absolutely believe that. I'm just saying, like, people, like, have this, they have a line in the sand. Like, I'm, I don't, I don't go down that far. I believe in that whole Jesus stuff. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> but you believe the earth, is, you believe the earth is flat? Anyway, so. <laughs> so, yeah, Balenciaga, Balenciaga is ritualistic, Satanist. They support, you know, children porn. I don't know. <laughs> Shit like that. And. God bless. God bless. I mean, we getting so up in arms over what? Over what? Yes, these things happen. Like what? what like getting so mad at a a luxurious name brand for not having morale? Like really? Okay. Like it just. I don't waste my emotions on things that just I don't care enough about. What? should be more of a concern is the parents of these children as a parent why would you allow your child i don't care if your child is a model right is an upcoming model or is a gerber baby why is your child a part of a campaign like this just because it's balenciaga like why would you okay why would you green light your child to be in an ad in which the child is holding a bondage teddy bear like, are you not there? Are you not in the screen room? Are you not, like, what are you, where, like, where are these parents? And wh- why are they parents? That's really where my energy goes towards. That's it. Like, I'm not mad at a name brand for being a name brand, right? For wanting to to cause hysteria and, you know, sure, this may be a bad look for them and they may lose money, but... People don't care after a while. Like, people get so up in arms right now, but give it three months. Niggas will still be wearing Balenciaga. Niggas will still be, you know, supporting them and all these things. So, 
I don't know, like expecting Kim Kardashian to speak up. And look, Kim Kardashian has been really the the spokesperson of Balenciaga, really, because she promotes them all the time. She wears their clothes and she talks about them on her show, apparently. But like, really, I'm going to seek justice with Kim Kardashian Oh, I'm gonna wait till Kim Kardashian speaks up about it because this is a, this is horrible. Like, what is Kim? Like, what is she gonna do? Tweet something? Is that gonna make you feel better? Like, I don't know. I just feel like ultimately, if you want to show your lack of support for a comp- for a campaign such as this, don't buy the products, right? You know, if you were saving your check to finally purchase a Balenciaga purchase right just don't anymore and then you'll see how things will turn into your favor because you're not putting your money towards a company whose morale and values you don't align with that's it but expecting these celebrities to really be this 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 beacon of morality i just okay who cares all right safari and erica mena (laughs) (laughs) I've been watching an onslaught of videos of their bum-ass relationship. And, like, I have a couple things to say. Because I talked about them before, like, a couple episodes back. (sighs) I have no sympathy for this woman. I really don't. I think Erica Mena is someone who loves being a victim. She loves playing this woe-is-me card she loves showing that she is always at you know someone's dismay she never takes accountability for her own actions and her own faults in the demise of her relationships she when i used to watch love and hip-hop because I used to watch it every Monday, very consistent. Me and my cousins will talk about it every time the episode will come on and we'll debrief about it afterwards. We'll watch it together. Like we, it was a part of our, of our time, our quality time, <laughs> but I haven't watched it in years. And it just finally got annoying. Like I'm tired of seeing this, I'm tired of seeing this ratchet shit. Like it's just like <laughs> basketball lives, you know, Loving hip hop, loving hip hop Miami, love it like all the loving hip hops. It's like enough. Like I'll just stick to my white shit. Stop <laughs> racist. No, I mean I still watch black reality shows, of course, but I just some things I just feel like this is just too much. It, it was just, it just felt too toxic for me to watch every fucking Monday. Like why are y'all fighting again? Like throwing blows at each other again. Like what is the big deal? You know, I just don't like stuff like that. Anyway, so she was a, a major star, like one of the main stars from Love and Hip Hop. Well, still is, apparently. So she and Safari recently got, well, not recently, but they recently got a divorce and they recently got married. So two things. <laughs> they recently got a divorce and they recently got married and um, they recently had two children together. Like they... <laughs> A lot of things happened and a lot of things happened. Like a lot of things created and a lot of things ended in their time together romantically. So she is on video exclaiming and shouting through the rooftop about how much she's so happy that the divorce is finalized and that the judge awarded her primary custodial um, custodial uh, powers over her two children with him 
and she's just like so happy about that right so then she then asked in the video or like in the video you see it but like she's on the phone with the judge or whomever she i think she talked to her lawyer at the time she's asking the lawyer oh well how much is he paying in child support that's literally the next question that she asked you know she was just up in arms and happy that she is the main parent and that she's the primary parent and that she is this and that all these things yet she in the next breath she asked about his child support payments <laughs> and i just find to be i find that to be so ironic and laughable because it just it just it's just very fake you know like you're you're so much so about like i wanted to leave you and i'm i want to be the only one raising my children or out or our children and but how much he's paying though like it just again it's just disingenuous so then the judge tells or the lawyer on the phone tells her the amount that he'll be paying for child support and she starts hysterically crying and just being up in arms because she feels like the amount that he's paying that he's mandated to pay is insufficient and let me tell y'all the amount. Let me tell y'all the amount. It is $4,035, okay? That is how much he is mandated to pay her in child support or pay, yeah, pay for their two children together. And she feels like, so she merely says, that's it? What? That's it? And it's like, wait, what? You fought for primary custody, for primary custody, you fought for primary custody. Of course, you'll be the one primarily taking care of your fucking kids, right? Because that's what you fought for, right? Is that is that the whole point of primary custodianship? Like, is that the point? Like, am I missing something here? Because how are you so excited about having the kids full time and then get mad when the father of said kids are not, like, is not paying the amount that you think that he's supposed to pay you're the primary parent right so you should be doing primarily of the work am i wrong <laughs> am i wrong here i feel like that's really the case here i feel like she is just again another example of these women who are out here just doing things for the money and being a victim and oh he drained me and you know as soon as they got married that was as soon as they got a divorce as soon as she signed the lines to be erica mena samuels she immediately signed the lines to divorce this nigga like she <laughs> what it just felt like what the fuck are we talking about here like you want to act all like you were so in love with him and then instantly you're not instantly he's horrible he's the worst thing that ever happened to you he's to blame he's to blame whatever he did allegedly in their relationship and in their marriage i feel like still doesn't constitute to her always seeming like the victim and portraying as such she needs to take some responsibility because if she is this horrible person that she said that she says he is he must have shown you that way before right or he must have demonstrated that in some capacity and i feel like she just she's just always she's always the one getting wronged she and 
I've seen examples of her or I've seen her in many examples in which she was just awful. Like she's very, very um, argumentative. She's very loud in a way that is unsafe emotionally. Like you wouldn't feel safe around her. You wouldn't feel like she won't change in an instant. She's abusive physically, emotionally, verbally. She has thrown drinks. She has thrown hands, not just on women, but on men. So I can only imagine that she has done this intimately with Safari. And Safari doesn't seem like, look, I don't know their intimate relationship at all, but Safari is very much a chill dude. And I hate seeing when chill guys are being controlled and run over by these types of women. You know, women like her really make the chill guy, make the archetype of a chill guy ruin him. They they ruin they really ruin him. They make him out to be now this toxic and hurt and traumatized individual because of how they horribly treated them. Child, I don't know. I just feel like she's full of shit. So anyway, she feels like it's insufficient. $4,000.35. No, $4,035 is insufficient. She feels like he should be paying more. And I just don't understand why that's not enough. (laughs) I don't. I don't get it. Um, and it's not, it's not to say that that's the only amount he will ever give in support of their two children together. No, I'm sure in times when he's with them, he's also paying for experiences together, you know, trips together. Like, I think that's just an added amount. I think that's not the only thing that he could that he could use to pay I I don't know. Maybe I just don't know the intricacies of child support, but she just felt like it wasn't enough and as if she's the only person, like, I don't know, as if he's the only parent paying anything. Like, no, you're also paying in this raising of your two children with this man. Like, you also have money. She's making money as well. Um... She's make both of them make really good money according to my reports. They make at least 30,000 a month. A month. So you mad that he's only giving you 4,000, well I'm saying only in her perspective, that he's only giving you 4,000 a month yet you're making like <laughs> you're making more than more than that. Anyway, I just feel like, honestly, this whole guise of child support is really for the women who just wants to live off of the money. It's about them and them wanting a particular lifestyle and wanting to keep up with the Joneses, rather than it really being a case of, no, this is solely for our child's support. You know, and it puts a bad look on the actual women out here who work a nine to five or who may not work and who is relying on the support of the father to be in addition to the support that they're giving their children that may not be enough, you know, and that's not fair because there are there are actual fathers out here who or there are actually men out here who are fathers and who aren't paying anything and the woman is actually just doing whatever she can to to rear her child as best as she can 
yet you have women like Erica Mena who feels like this is chump change. You know, it just reminds me of um, 50 Cent's son and how he felt the money his father gave him was, in, I think he gave him 60K. I, I could be wrong, but either way, he felt like his father wasn't giving him enough. And it's like, first of all, you disrespect your father all, all day, every day. And you want him to give you more? You're lucky that he even gives you anything or he gave you anything because he is well over child support giving age and he is now off to the races on his own. But you also have to keep in, and keep in mind when you are disrespectful as child, look, <laughs> you know, maybe God did a good thing in not making me a, a man because my God, I feel like some of these women out here are just really out for clout really out for your money, really out to make you look like Boa the Fool. And because they have the convenience and the privilege of using their woman card and always looking like, you know, a damsel in distress, they get away with things. When it's like, no, no, Rihanna did hit Chris Brown too. I mean, (laughs) let's not go there. All right, you guys, I'm gonna go ahead and end the episode here. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single listen. Oh my gosh, I'm at 16 subscribers on YouTube. What? I'm gonna get paid. (laughs) No, it's gonna take me a a little while. Uh, A little while, I'm gonna just put more positivity into that. But, you know, eventually I'll get there. Apparently you need... I think it's a thousand subscribers to finally, you know, make a little bit of a profit. Just a little bit at, at that point. Um, but I'm hoping to eventually get there and I'm hoping that you guys can come along for the ride. If you've enjoyed this content, you know, the episodes that I've been pushing out twice a week on the main channel and also the Patreon having exclusive access to episodes that haven't been released on the main channel please do me a favor and subscribe to the YouTube channel of God Built This Podcast. Just type that in. It's also, um, you know, yeah, just type it in YouTube and you'll see me there. So go ahead and click that subscribe button. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And I will check in with you guys next time. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of God Built This Podcast with your host, Maxine. If you liked it, leave a review, share, and subscribe. God bless.